Hartford Young Jerks. We have uh, some guests from local 1445. It's uh, UFCW. They represent cannabis workers in Massachusetts. Uh, we have my friend Hugh in the car, Hugh Giordano. Hello. What's up, man? What's going on? And we also have uh, Babs back on the show. She's a big star. Hey. She's part of our <laughs> most listened to podcast of all time. I don't know if you know that, Babs. I did not. <laughs> yeah. I mean, we've been doing this for a long time. That was the most listened to podcast we've ever had. Uh, welcome back, Babs, Barbara, Carapachano. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. And we also have uh, so two, two new folks here for our show anyways. Uh, Natasha Blackwell. Hello. Hello. And Fabricio Da Silva. That's it. We're here. Thanks for having me. And you're the local local leader, right? The local, uh, what do we call I you? am. Yeah, I'm the secretary treasurer now, which is sort of my new title, but I've been the organizing director for my local for uh, seven years, and I've been an organizer with the local for 17 years. Oh, wow. So you're, you're, yeah. you're in it for a while. You've been yeah, doing I've been here for a while, since I was 19 years old. Oh, wow. And where are you located? Yeah. In Dedham, Massachusetts. Oh, cool. My girlfriend yeah. used to be a union secretary, so uh, yeah, mad respect to you. I know how much work that is. Yeah. So we have uh, again, as people you know may have already seen this week in Dig Boston or MidnightMass.substack.com. A few weeks ago, we interviewed uh, New England Treatment Access employees about the working conditions at Netta, um, and tonight we reached out to the union that is trying to organize over at Netta and uh, they've put this together for us tonight. Some of the guests, um, we just kind of did a round table on, you know, just to introduce everyone, but I'd like to do it again, just so you can tell people who you really are. Like, like, you know, Fabricio, we heard a little bit about you, but uh, like Natasha Blackwell, I don't know much about you at all. So why don't you okay. start and tell us like where you're from, where you work, all of, <laughs> anything you think we should know about you. Sure. Um, I'm a, uh a ex-Northampton, Netta Northampton um, PSA or patient service associate. Um, and I grew up and I've lived in Western Mass like my whole life. Um, I started working at Netta a, like just under two years ago. Um, and I was involved in the layoffs that, the mass layoffs that happened on um, April 9th. I'm fixing my hair. My girlfriend asked me not to wear a hat, to, to not wear a hat, because she said I look crazy, but my hair is out of control, so I'm putting the hat back on. <laughs> I just can't deal with it. It's uh, Everyone needs a haircut now. I, I really need it. I needed a haircut before the pandemic, but now it's out of control. It really is. But thank you, Natasha. So you you were from Northampton. Uh, you got laid off recently. You're, are you on furloughs? That's what they're calling it, right? Furlough from that? Um no, so uh, I was actually laid off or like oh. terminated, I guess. Oh, okay. So I'm no longer so you're not um, going an employee back. of Netta. Yeah. Okay. And you, from my understanding, correct me if I'm wrong, you were one of the, like Bab started, uh, you know, organizing in Brookline. You started mm -hmm. the organizing in Northampton, right? Yep. That, that was me. That was you. So it's, oh, wow. So they, they basically fired you. Yeah. After you started organizing. When did you start organizing? 
Um, so I uh, did some kind of like light organizing, I guess, like, I don't know, sometime in like late 2019. Um, and there wasn't like a big interest in it. Um, and then uh, I started being a little bit more aggressive, probably in like February, um, like mid to late February, uh, early March. Um, and I officially reached out to the local 1459, uh, the chapter for Western Mass um, on, I think it was March 5th, I want to say. Okay. And so um, when did you get the notice that you were being laid off? So uh, the way that they did it was um, like on April 8th, they uh, sent out like this email to our like corporate email addresses. Um, that was for a Google Hangouts meeting um, like the next day, April 9th, uh, sometime in the morning which admittedly sucked because I was night shift and getting up for like 9.45 a.m. is a challenge. Um, but uh, it was, the meeting was still update discussion, um, which like a lot of people thought was like just going to be about like what was going on with like operations, coronavirus, et cetera. Um, and it turned out that that was like just for the layoffs and furloughs. Um, so anyone in like the 9.45 a.m. meeting uh, was getting terminated. Um, so I essentially joined the meeting at 9.45. It was just myself, uh, the dispensary manager and uh, someone from HR and they like the condensed short version was just, hey, your position's being eliminated. You don't work for us anymore. There goes my dog. I think people <laughs> can hear that now, right? You yeah. hear that one? Come here, Charlie. Charlie, come here. Stop barking. It's participating. Yeah, he's. this is the problem with uh, not being in a studio anymore. I have to deal with my dogs. <laughs> Usually my girlfriend has them upstairs, but she has her own Zoom meeting going on, so I got them. I got the little barker. As long as I'm petting him, he's fine. <laughs> <laughs> so Natasha, do you feel like you got laid off or, or fired? Well, laid off, fired because of your organizing, like basically like a month before? Or <laughs> yeah, um, before? I uh, definitely do feel um, like I I was essentially targeted. Um, I was probably the most vocal uh person about like changes and things like that um like for example um i think it was march 3rd uh we got like in the morning we got um an email from someone in uh like upper management um titled like a note about unions that was I'm pretty sure it was like in response to uh, Brookline filing for um, an election. Um, and it was just like this whole long anti-union propaganda email. And um, I read that before my shift and I was like, I, I have to say something. So in our uh, like check-in essentially, like before our shifts uh, started, we would have check-ins. 
Um, and I like spoke up in the meeting and I was just like, hey, so this is this is all just like propaganda. You're effectively like lying to us, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And um, I, I said all of that directly to the um, dispensary manager's like face in front of like pretty much the entire night shift um, that was on staff that night. Um, I was also the person who like organized uh, like the first meeting with uh, the 1459 chapter. Um, and uh, like I was the one to directly reach out. Um, I picked up uh, union cards and handed them out uh, to some of my coworkers. Um, interestingly enough, the day that uh, I started handing them out, we almost immediately got an e another email from upper management directed to Northampton that was like, hey, so we know that some employees are handing out union cards. And I was like, cool. Um, and uh, also, I um, like I I didn't want like, you know, any of my like, you know, comrades to like risk their job. So I was trying to be the person who was mostly like reaching out to people and being like, you know, like, hey, how do you feel about unionizing and things like that? Um, that's not to say that like I was the only person doing all of this. There were definitely other people involved, but like I tried to, I, I was definitely like the, the most vocal, like calling out uh, management and I tried to take kind of the brunt of it because I was, you know, I didn't want to like put the risk of like job loss on anyone else. Thank you. That's Natasha Blackwell. She's a uh, laid off, fired employee at New England Treatment Access in Northampton, Massachusetts. Uh, it seems like to me, I'm just going to, you know, seems like to me for union organizing, that that's just awful, terrible. Yeah. This is New England Treatment Access. People should be well aware if they're shopping for their medical cannabis. I'd, I'd want to know this information. Uh, we, we also have uh, Hugh, Hugh Giordano. Um, Hello. Hey, are you in New Jersey right now? Where are you at? I am. I'm actually, well, right now I'm in Philadelphia. Oh, Philly. Um, I've been, uh, so our, our union represents, besides cannabis, healthcare facilities, uh, warehousing, manufacturing, transportation, um, and also supermarkets. Stop so, and shop. Yes, yeah, stop and shop. Um, you know, uh, UFCW 1445 up in Massachusetts. Uh, represent Stop and Shop, um, and down my, down in Jersey, Pennsylvania, we have Shop Rights and other uh, businesses that are union, um, and we're delivering personal protective equipment to these workers today and over the next few days uh, to, to, to continue to make sure our members are protected. Um, and that's one of the reasons why a lot of these workers in cannabis are having issues today is because they don't have that type, same type of rep, uh, representation. Um, when these workers were begging for better safety standards, not, and this is even prior to COVID. This is about, you know, mold and, uh, pesticides that are being used and, uh, people having breathing issues and now having chronic medical issues afterwards. These workers were crying out way before COVID. Um, and companies, not just NETA are ignoring this, you know, NETA is just one of many that make workers work in unsafe, um, uh, conditions. And, you know, these are skilled workers. 
Uh, you know, these are workers from sea to sail that depend uh, uh, on their health so they can provide good med medicine for uh, the patients that come in every day, especially now. Uh, you know, um, and to treat these, these workers and these skilled workers at that, the way they are doing, um, is a major issue. And that's another big issue with a lot of these cannabis work, uh, these non-union cannabis facilities, um, is that other workers are feeling the same exact way as NETA workers. And NETA workers are leading the way in, in making sure that uh, other workers, not just NETA, but other workers around this country, are, are, I hope see this, that you're, they, they, that you're not alone in these working conditions. It's happening from state to state. Um, and Massachusetts, uh, the workforce, the is you know again from seed to sale, cannabis workers are really um, tired of it, and Massachusetts is leading the way. That's good These to hear. We're leading the way on something in cannabis. I, I guess uh, workers that need a union. I mean that's that's what I'm hearing. I mean I, what you said is so true because we've been talking about rev clinics. We we did a show the other day about rev clinics, and that's another place. I've met with some workers over there, ex-workers, and first question I asked them, I said, do you think they need a union? And they were all like, yes. You know, I mean, this is just so many of these big dispensaries in Massachusetts, they need a union. They need protection. It's so obvious. I mean, we, we covered it on that last episode in, in the story about the mold. We didn't even talk about the bugs or the aphids, which that's another issue at NETA, which is, you know, unreal. When you look into this, it's just like, Rob, Rob Colley, who was on the show last time, he, he sent me a statement about the bugs and uh, just due to the fact that, he, he, you know, he'd go home and he'd be looking for bugs. You know what I mean? It just, it's a mind. It gets in your head. You know, I can't imagine working around like aphids all the time. Uh, we also have uh, from the union hall himself, uh, Fabricio Da Silva. So you, you got, were you um, up at Stop and Shop and like Swampscott? Were you up there too? Yeah, so uh, my local was part of three locals who were in a, on strike with Stop and Shop. Uh, whoever's out there who supported us, thank you. Me, I was there every Stop day. And Shop. Yeah, yeah, I go we, out there. Uh, yeah, I love it. I love the uh, yeah, what they did was, uh, for Stop and Shop. What you guys did? Go ahead. I'm sorry. That was something that we needed for sure. Uh, I feel like uh, uh, during Stop and Shop. Uh, workers, our members were looked at much different than after the strike, right? Because, you know, these are not just cashiers and grocery workers. These are workers. And even now, more importantly, they're essential workers. Same thing that we feel with our cannabis workers that uh, we are supporting, right? They are skilled workers. They're important workers. They are not just cannabis workers. They are part of the economy. They are part of what makes the economy work. Uh, they have a purpose, and I feel like these companies, such as Stopping Shop and Nata, uh, you know, they they almost have this attitude that these workers should be thankful they have a job, and it should be the other way around, that they actually have, they should be thankful that these workers care about their jobs, whether it's being in a register, or working at the dispensary, or working at the grower, right? Uh, they care, they, lo they love what they do, especially the cannabis industry. They love what they do. They care about the product. They care about the mission. But yeah, these companies want to come in and treat them like they are third class and uh, not give them the, what they need. And we're not even talking about money and benefits. We're talking about a safe place to work. And at the end of the day, respect. Because companies like Netta, 
are taking advantage of the uh, the COVID-19 situation, right? As you've heard, to work on all these layoffs and firings and furloughs, and, uh, it's a mess. Uh, the way they did it is wrong. It's confusing. Uh, they really paid workers to be laid off by offering packages uh, that um, they are just not they're just not doing the right thing as an employer, period. Um, and we are very upset and we're pissed about it. And we are gonna continue to do everything we can to shame them, uh, to make sure they do the right thing and uh, make sure that these workers are left out alone, out there without any support. Um, you know, it, it's unfortunate what happened in that. We were supposed to uh, have an election about a month ago, a month and a half ago. Uh, obviously the uh, labor board uh, closed due to COVID-19. And since then, all NETA has been doing is delaying, delaying, delaying. Up to yesterday, we didn't even have a notice of a hearing to have an election date. Uh, we have been able to push the board. We have been able to uh, do enough pressure that now we are going to have a hearing through Zoom to work out the last items that need to be worked out for the election and give these workers the opportunity to vote. But this was definitely an anti-union uh, uh, movement for them to lay off these workers, uh, to uh, intimidate them, and to be, and, and they were just unfair the way they did it. Because at the end of the day, this had nothing to do with uh, the COVID-19. It had nothing to do with uh, the, uh, them losing money. They just wanted to be able to break the vote. They wanted to simply, uh, minimize the amount of voters who are supporting the union to be eligible to vote. And we're not going to let that happen. We have charges lined up. We have a bunch of attorneys working on it. We have support groups working on it that we're not going to allow that to happen. I hope not. It's, uh, well, actually, we'll get to the next, uh, Babs, because we had Babs on before. Yeah. And uh, Babs, I mean, you guys laid down a lot of good information on that last show. A lot of viewers, like I said, most listened to podcasts we ever did. Um, yeah. What, have, what has the response been from employees that you've heard, you know, after doing that show? Um, I mean, I haven't personally heard too much. Um, I did see some reviews that were left on the podcast. Thought those the good ones or the of, bad ones? Oh, the bad ones. Um, thought those were kind of petty, to say the least. <laughs> um, but, yeah, no, I haven't heard too much. Um, but I do know that if there are any listening, this whole thing was to just make it better for everyone. It wasn't to just ruin your workplace. It was to make it better because we deserve better. You guys deserve better that are still there. And, like, at the end of the day, I think that people need to remember that this movement isn't coming from a malicious or a petty place. It's coming from a place of, like, love and wanting something right to be done for once in an industry that should be doing the right thing all the time. Yeah, definitely. You know, it's funny about those reviews. Uh, there were two of them left that were negative. One of them, I don't think that they meant to use their real name because <laughs> that one disappeared real quick when we uh, <laughs> made note of it publicly. 
Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, and, you know, it's funny that, uh, it, you know, it was followed by a bunch of good reviews. So, you know, online too, I noticed that so many people, you know, on the Boston trees, you know, cause two years ago when we reported kind of the similar situation, uh, you know, with Ann Hassel and a, and a different group of employees at Netta, some dealing with the same issues, mold and poor working conditions, unsafe conditions for workers. And it wasn't received so well, you know, in the public or, you know, people just didn't want to believe it, you know, and this time you could tell on Boston trees, like everybody was like, wow, you know, nobody was doubting the workers on this um, except for one individual. And again, I think that all, if you look at those two comments, one that got deleted off our iTunes, but one that's still up there. And, you know, I could, I could, it's funny too. Like when people leave negative reviews like that, it's so easy for me. I could just get rid of that if I wanted to. In truth, all I have to do is complain to Apple and they'll take it down. But I leave it up because I like it. I was just like, oh, look, someone hates us, you know? And, and the reason why we know is generally, I feel, and, you know, I'm not going to put words in any of your mouths, but if any of you want to weigh in on this, like, I feel like it's coming from their management because I've seen this before with other dispensaries when we say things and I've even proven it into, at times, you know, uh, you know, cause they reveal themselves. It's pretty easy sometimes to figure out who they are. Sometimes they even leave their name on it. But to me, it felt like, you know, the one person on Reddit that posted 15 times the same thing was the only person being negative about uh, the workers and uh, the two reviews on the iTunes. I feel like it's coming from Netta management. And I would bet, like, I'm not a betting man. Like, I don't gamble. Let's put it that way. But if I, I'll bet on a sure thing if I know it, you know, and I, I feel I would bet on that. I would bet that it was data management. Do you all feel like that? It wouldn't surprise me. Um, but that's pretty much all I could really say. All I'm comfortable saying because i don't know personally yeah yeah but it would not and we, we again we, we can't prove that there's no proof <laughs> i'm just saying if i you know my hunch but uh we, again we're the young jerks we got uh four great people from ufcw uh and uh babs like again because uh going back to you uh you were also furloughed furloughed or laid off not sure which term they're using but um, now i hear they're calling back laid off employees or furloughed employees back to Netta to work there. What's your status? Are they bringing you back or are they not? No, not, not even a little bit. Um, so I was in the laid off crowd. Um, I was offered a severance package. So with the furloughed crowd, they were laid off with the opportunity to be recalled or reapply at a later date. Um, me i'm just chilling <laughs> you're not going back there i know because you have you have you know some issues you have uh immune you're immune compromised i mean that's yeah. a, a big risk for you to go back there yeah for sure and i don't they weren't doing the right thing to begin with when it, when all of this started i don't expect them to do the right thing when and if things kick back in again like if if they're seeing the rate of people that they were seeing pre-covid i i'm sorry but that's going to be a vector for disease <laughs> yeah we're talking about you know before covid people you know we we had the guest on of you know a few weeks ago and talking about people was coming down with copd 
breathing issues, asthma issues uh, from the mold. I mean, you know, it's just everywhere apparently at uh, New England Treatment Access. So we expect they're going to do better now with COVID-19. I, I, I wouldn't trust my health there. I wouldn't want any of my uh, family members working there without a union protecting them. I, I definitely would not. Agreed. Um, so, you know, we have all four of you on the call. I always like to see what you want to talk about because, you know, sometimes question, when we ask questions, we're at, you know, we direct the conversation, but there could be things that you want to make sure you get in today to make sure people are aware of. So what, is there anything you guys want to talk about specifically to make sure that we don't? <clears throat> yeah, I, I'd like to um, sort of talk, maybe bring the angle of, uh, of the, um, obviously we have the COVID-19 situation or, you know, the layoff, but why did these things really happen, including what you just asked Babs? Yeah, they laid off some workers. It was really not done the right way. Some were laid off, furloughed, whatever they call it. Some were off for a package, some were not. And now they're calling workers back, okay? So I've been running campaigns for a while. I've seen all the tricks, all the different uh, uh, tactics that companies use. And that's why we keep going back to that they use the COVID-19 situation instead of taking care of the employees they found a door to come up with an anti-union move but even calling the workers back got to remember some of these workers are collecting unemployment and you know they've we see a pattern we have some database that shows that they're trying to cover all the angles to make sure that they are offering the job back but i think babs can even talk more about that they are offering them to come back to work but getting paid way less Okay, so, you know, comparing to what they were getting paid into a different job title. And if the worker decides to not go back, you know, they are checking the little box saying that they offered a position, right? And so, they lose their unemployment. You know, Is that what happens exactly, if they don't go back? Exactly. Exactly. Oh, so and then they're going to take less then, pay and risk right. their life to go in there. Right. Right. So they're not even on what they were getting paid before. So talk about not taking care of your own people why would you even do that right if you're gonna if you care about your employees so they care more about getting the product money out. that's what they care okay? about money it's, it's about obvious. the money yep. and at the end of the day you know if they check all these boxes and we are fighting with the nlrb with the national labor relations board and we are trying to argue that these workers are eligible voters they have another layer of argument to say hey by the way not only they were furloughed, laid off, fired, whatever. We offered them a job back and they don't want to come back. Why should they be an eligible voter? So they're really trying to Bust cut it. down on the number of supporters that we have. Yeah. Um, so it, it's a perfect scenario for them. It's a perfect situation for them to hide their true intentions. Okay. But the intent is there. At the end of the day, instead of looking at the COVID-19, hey, how can we support our communities? How can we support... Uh, uh, customers, right? How can we support our workers? They're saying, hey, this is perfect for us, man. We can just try to uh, uh, cut this whole union drive thing down and then we can destroy their efforts. And, and at the end of the day, they even come out good and then look all cute. And they oh, look, we're going to deliver. You know, we're taking care of you. We're doing everything we can to, uh, to stay afloat. And, but yet, the, 
the workers who are going to be delivering, working on those deliveries, are getting paid some, I believe that, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, some of them will get a, almost a $10 an hour pay cut, okay? So this isn't just losing, you know, a dollar or two an hour. I mean, you shouldn't be losing anything. They're getting a pay cut. Okay? They're getting a pay cut. Instead of getting hazard pay, okay, yes. they're getting a pay cut. That's a slap in the face, and that tells you exactly who Nata is. And it's like they, they could easily, you know, Fabricio, like if I was in charge of Nata in this environment, in a pandemic, the first thing I would think is like, okay, we may we may get recreational back open. We're going to have to start staffing up. Why yeah. not? I mean, correct me if I'm wrong. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe they can't do this, but I'm pretty sure they could turn around and say, look, who wants to come back? You know, we're not going to force you back. You know, because this is a, a risky environment under COVID-19 and you're getting unemployment. So could they do that? Could they say like, you know, it's voluntary. You can come back if you want to come back. I believe that that's what they're doing. They're making it voluntary. Okay. But, but if you're making it voluntary with a pay cut, that kind of sucks, right? Make yeah, it yeah. voluntary, but not, we're going to pay you the same or even more, honestly, because now you're working on, it's a dangerous uh, situation, right? You're exposing even more. Um, so even if they offer some kind of, I mean, even our stopping shop folks got a 10% hazard pay on top of their pay, even if it was something as minimal as that. And I, and I mentioned the stopping shop because we've had companies where are paying over $5 more an hour for hazard pay. Folks in nursing homes, for example, CNAs, right? So we believe that the company, you know, they, they should be leading, Meta should be leading on, hey, we're going to have a business model where we're going to put workers first, okay? Uh, we're gonna, not just the product, okay? Uh, and they're not. And uh, it just, it, it goes to show that they don't, just don't care. They just want to make the money. Uh, they don't have a mission behind the product. The mission is the bottom line is the money, okay? Uh, and I don't have to tell you, you guys just talked about all the conditions that the grower in Franklin shows even more. So even before COVID-19, this was already a problem, okay? I believe Meta uh, buy some products from Mayflower, okay? Because things are so bad at the, at the plant in, in, in Franklin that they're buying from Mayflower in Hollison, Massachusetts. So this company just sucks, right? They just don't care. Um, I, I wonder if Netta was a grocery store, if they would be allowed to be open, to be honest, right? I know. If, they, if, if any other business, with mold, you wonder. Okay? Yeah. If it was, it was a bakery and inside of this bakery had mold and and freaking rats and everything else. If they would There'd be, be able a food to stay inspector open. in there. Okay. You're right. right. You're right. All it so. would take. I mean, we, we saw Dunkin' Donuts. I, I think it was in Southie. Someone took a picture of some mice and a Dunkin' Donuts. And that place right. got shut down so quick. Dunkin' right. Donuts put their license. Right. It was like, but, you know, we're, we're showing mold two years later. And, right. and nobody cares. Like, I, right. that's my next question. Like, Cannabis Control Commission. They supposedly yeah. have an investigation of Netter about COVID-19. Apparently, they don't care about the mold. I mean, have you heard anything? Is there any update on that? What, what do you guys think about Cannabis Control Commission protecting workers at this point? We did send a letter to the CCC last week from our attorney uh, because they were, you know, kind of taking the position of, oh, that we don't have enough investigative power to go after this and go after that. So we did some research. And we found out that they are doing very little, very little 
So we are demanding them to do more on that investigation. They were also had this crap that they were not going to be able or didn't have the power to enforce whistleblower protection for the workers who spoke to them. And so we are really pissed about that and we didn't accept it. And uh, we are, we wrote another letter to them. Uh, we are demanding some, some more investigations around that and that we're not gonna stop, that we're gonna continue to expose that plant. Um, so yeah, they were really trying to uh, not care about it. They, you know, they're saying that this is more of an OSHA issue and, and this and that, and they should, you know, trying to put us through the system pretty much and let this kind of die. Uh, and we said, that's just unacceptable. That we're not gonna let that happen. So, I can't yeah, believe the about the lack of confidence. Yeah. I can't believe about the lack of confidential because, you know, when, yeah. when uh, President Obama was around, mm-hmm. when they actually cared about wage theft, uh, you know, I worked at an employer that was doing wage yeah. theft. And yeah. uh, one day the Department of Labor came in and said, you know, we, we're, we're here to talk to your employees. And it was totally confidential and, and nothing got back. I mean, they protected us. The department, the, the feds protected us, but our state won't protect employees that's just to me that's outrageous like you you usually think the feds are the ones that don't do the right thing that the state and the local will protect local citizens but in this case it's like why why aren't the local cannabis control commission in massachusetts protecting massachusetts citizens from an out-of-state company it's just outrageous to me that they don't even allow a whistleblower that they're saying this crap that's just outrageous you know and the, the thing CC- that gets oh, go ahead sorry for no, sorry. the ccc they have a you know they they're supposed to have values and a mission and they're acting like some i don't know some some company that you know what i mean uh protect or or, or just like a almost like they want to help netta I, I i just have to say it cover up the, what's happening there does it seem like it they were supposed to be doing they're not supposed to be helping them uh cover things up they have a mission and they have a responsibility, and we feel like they are, they they're just not even close to meeting those expectations. And we are, we I was very unhappy and very upset. I, I just couldn't believe it. And we just said we just can't let this happen. Uh, we wrote a, a letter to the company's attorney, Mr. O'Connell, and uh, we wrote this letter back to the CCC. And we told them that we don't accept your your letter that you didn't find anything wrong or you don't have enough uh, investigative power to to deal with this, and we're just going to continue to push. Oh, I, could you do? You, would you mind sending us that letter? Is that possible that we can? Yeah, I can send it. Stuff? Yeah, and maybe some it. of our listeners will start calling them. Seriously, because yeah. yeah. like, yeah. I think that's what it's going to take is public pressure. You know, yes. people did some protests at the CCC. I mean. Uh, I'm ready to surround these places, like literally, like just, you know, let's get a hundred people and shut down NETA, shut down the CCC. Like this is just outrageous stuff that we're hearing. So Mike, if, if, if you don't mind, uh, no, go ahead. Hugh. I I think the one thing that's prevalent here that we're seeing and what NETA workers have brought out again, because NETA workers are the ones that really stepped up the plate and brought out all this because it's, this is happening industry wide now amongst all these other um, cannabis employers as well. And the one thing that I think that is very upsetting about all this from the company side, from the CCC, uh, is that 
the whole mission of protecting patients, right? This is people's medicine and making sure that the quality is good, making sure that the consistency is good, that when they buy their medication, that they're going to get the same uh, set of standards every single time. And you can see that by re trying to rehire these workers that they furloughed, bringing them at a lower wage, uh, they're doing it on purpose so they won't come back. And that ultimately, all those years, all those workers, those collective years of experience of taking care of their patients and knowing their base is gone overnight because Netta decided they're not worth it. So the impact on this, um, which has been happening already because the system is not set up right for patients and consumers still protections, is that it's going to continue to get worse on, under this under this model, constant turnover, constant lack of respect for skilled trade folks from from seed to sale, um, and patients lost out on two good workers here today. You know, Babs and Natasha had all these this this experience, and uh, they decided to get rid of those workers that were helping patients. And I think that's upsetting. Um, you know, I think the patients should be concerned. And this is why workers' safety and workers' rights is so important amongst the patient activist group um, and community because without these workers, you know, you won't have consistent medicine. And the best workers, like you said, I mean, these, these two stood out. Like those are the ones that I want to serve me. You know, the ones that actually will take a risk for other people. I'm like almost ready to cry here. It bugs me, it, you know, cause I fought for this. I fought for this since 2000, even before that, but you know, 20 years, this has been my friggin' life fighting for it for free just because we believed in it. And now, you know, I'm supposed to want recreational to open back up, but that has got me not wanting. I mean, this is how twisted this is that I don't want rec to open back up because I'm afraid they're going to put these, put the workers at risk. It's not, it's not right. You know, um, and it's funny Coop, because our response, you know, I reached out to Netta just like I did last time, two years ago, when we talked to Ann Hassel, uh, we reached out. And of course, they got back with a PR rep. Two years ago, they got back with a PR rep. Um, it seems like they don't have enough money for workers. They don't have enough money to have uh, workers have a, a chair that's not broken to sit in. But they always have enough money for these fancy PR reps. They always have enough money for the fancy packaging and the advertising and the lobbyists and the political contributions. Netta is the most connected dispensary politically in Massachusetts. They have a former uh, Massachusetts state rep aide running them right now. She's, you know, she used to be a state rep aide uh, for uh, Frank Smizik. Uh, now she runs Netta. I mean, these, these are political operators. They, they know everybody. They have, you know, buddied up. They're the big political establishment with money. Um, so they have the money. They have, the, they have all the resources to cover it up, but they don't care about the workers. It just, and I think is, the issue too here, Mike, also, and just to make this clear, is we have to look at Netta for what it really is, and it's a multinational employer now, right? You know, mm -hmm. Netta is not owned by Netta. You know, Netta mm -hmm. you know, is, 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 is owned by a multi-state operator, billionaire, um, and so we, we have to even make – NETA is not a local community. The workers are, are the local people. That's right. The, locals are the, the workers are the community. NETA as a banner is not. 
period. Right. It's not. Yeah, the, he's from where? Palm Beach? He's from down Florida. Yes. Yeah. He hangs out with what? Donald Trump down in Mar-a-Lago probably? Who knows who those who those folks hang out with? Yeah. It ain't us. I know that. Yeah. I'm okay with it. His name's, uh, we've, we've looked into him, you know, but previously uh, a different family, the Kessler family kind of started Netta. And they're like big time Boston rich philanthropists, like the huge money. Like they, he actually does go down to uh, Mar-a-Lago. Like he, there's a picture of him and Trump and Clinton all together. And, and that's David Kessler. Like, uh, but uh, now it's run by a guy named Bo Wrigley and, and a company called Parallel Subterra. You know, Wrigley Chewing Gum, Wrigley Field. That, mm-hmm. That's that's the guy, right? Mm-hmm. So these, these this is who uh, doesn't care about their workers. Um, yeah, I mean, what what do you think will happen like going forward? It seems like they're going to reopen, right? They're going to reopen recreational. From what we can see, yes, they're going to reopen recreational. Um, we are what. What we what we have a plan uh, with the organizers we have on, on the ground and, and the work is that we are going to continue to expose these really bad practices. Uh, like you said before, and I, or I just want to thank you. Said this has been your life pretty much, right? And these guys, they just see this as an opportunity, not as a product and not as a mission. Okay, that's what I've learned. There's no mission here is how much I can run this business to make me money, right? And if it, if it wasn't for people like you and these workers, Babs, and all the workers who are fighting, not just because they have a job, just like you said, these are the people that you want serving, right? Working for you because they care about the product. If we lose the, the workers in this industry, then this industry is going to be a disaster, Okay. And these guys that have a lot of money may not care about that, just move on to something else, right? And what happens to the years of fighting that you and, and all the people around you, uh, what happens to all those years, all the fighting, all the, you know, all, all the struggles, all the nights, everything that you guys have to go through to make sure that this is where it is today, um, that goes down the drain. And they may just not care about that. So they're going to open. And, you know, we are obviously, we care that they're open. People need to go back to work, but these workers don't just need to be used the way they're being used or even abused and disrespected. Um, we are going to have an election at the, at the dispensary very soon. Like I mentioned, we're going to have a hearing uh, next week to have uh, some decisions about the election date. But this isn't just about winning the election and NETA at the dispensary. Okay, so it doesn't stop here. Uh, it doesn't stop here even if we were to lose the election. Uh, we would like to look at these campaigns as our mission or our way for the union to contribute to the fight that you guys uh, started and continue to, uh, to fight to make sure that this is an industry that is respected, that these workers are looked at as skilled workers and that this product is not abused, right? by these rich people out there just trying to make a profit. And uh, all I can say is that at least my local union or UFCW as a whole, they have that commitment. And it's also being helpful to, uh, for our members in different industries to understand the cannabis industry better as well, right? 
whether they work for a retailer, a stopping shop, or they work at a Macy's or a meatpacking plant, a lot of this is very new for our members. Uh, and some of them were, were at one point not really open to learn, but now that they learn, they see the campaign, they meet the workers, they see the struggles that these workers go through, which are not much different than the struggles that they go through on a daily basis, right? This is in a different location, just at a cannabis dispensary or uh, at a, um, a, a grower. You know, we, we represent workers at, at industrial laundries, for example, that, that for the longest time would get all the linens from the hospital, okay, and separate them without the proper protection, okay, without a gown, without gloves, right? A lot of these workers, some of them were undocumented workers, right? Wage staff, right? Okay, so then you have some workers work at Macy's. They suffer a little different. It's the stress of the work, right? They don't suffer the same way as a work at a factory would. So it is something that it's important to expose to the public to understand that these young workers, okay, uh, are skilled workers, and all they want is a, a safe place to work, to get paid well, and be respected on the job. And that's exactly what my local will continue to do. God bless you. Is there, is there anything you think that uh, my, the community I come from, the cannabis reform community could do, or even consumers or medical patients? What, what, is there anything we, we can do? Because a lot of people have had concerns from the outside. And they're like, what, what can we do to help these workers? We're going to be putting some initiatives forward in the next two or three weeks where we're going to need a lot of community engagement whether these are petitions or, you know, uh, whether we're going to take over the CCC, whatever we're going to do. And, mm. well, I guess my ask will be, hey, just keep your ears open, right? Uh, because there's, there's, there's a lot coming. I, and you know, I think, yeah, Fabricio, yeah. I want to tell you too, and uh, see, surround the CCC, you know, I don't think they're meeting there anymore. But I <laughs> think the one thing that people, like this move, like, where I come from, the cannabis reform groups and the patients, they've yeah. been asking me a long time to like do something at some of these, at these dispensaries, like they want to pick at them. They want to protest. Yeah. They want to shut them yeah. down. Like, I think, yeah. you know, obviously you're going to get, you know, probably get a lot of stop and shop workers, hopefully and union workers to come 100%. out. hundred percent. But yeah. uh, I think our community will come out. Like, I think that they're fed up. They, they know what's yeah. up. They, they know yeah. the game, the patients, even the ones that shop there are just like, you know, they know, they know how shady it is and, and they're tired yeah. of it. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, and, and there's a lot coming up. So, you know, be on standby. We're definitely, obviously this COVID-19 kind of slowed us down a little bit because we've had a lot to deal with, uh, with the rest of the membership that we represent. Um, and we didn't know where this is going to go with the different, elections and being canceled and workers being furloughed. I mean, it took us some time to put all these data together and understand what NADA was doing. But now we, we get, we know exactly what they're doing. And I, I know that NADA probably thinks that this thing is over, that, you know, like some unions in, you know, in the past have walked away from certain industries, uh, but this is not what's gonna happen here. So NADA has, uh, it's coming. It's coming, and it's we're gonna obviously need the support from your community, everybody out there. These workers need it. Uh, they fought really hard uh, to get to where we are right now, and we don't want to disappoint them. Whatever it takes, 
whatever it takes to make this happen and make sure that these workers get the justice they deserve. And again, that the mission of this product, of the mission of the cannabis industry, uh, it continues to be the same. That it's not just a profit, right? This isn't just a product to make a profit. There's, there's a mission behind here. And we, we may have to keep reminding all these other companies out there by you know, using that it will be our example. If you want to mess with this industry, you want to come here and not do the right thing, you're going to suffer. You either do the right thing or we're going to we'll destroy you at the end of the day if we have to, right? To make sure that whoever decides to be the next big cannabis player, whether in Massachusetts or anywhere else, that they understand that the community is strong and we're going to make sure that we hold them accountable. And I know that works with, with when, you know, yeah. it, it is so true because I've done a lot of activism and mm-hmm. advocacy, you know, in the past. Yeah. And like what, what, you know, one thing way back my you know, my girlfriend, a lot of people know her Bay State Rock, uh, Carmelita mm-hmm. from WAF. I could tell this story now because AAF is gone. Mm-hmm. I couldn't tell this story for so long. But, you know, we kind of met over a protest and uh, some advocacy mm-hmm. I did for her show. I, I used to manage a band and um, she has a local music show in like the rock station mm-hmm. in town. And at one point, a new PD came in from out of state and, you know, came into Massachusetts where indie rock and, and, you know, there was 2000 bands back then, you know, it might not be as the same as it is now, but back then there was literally 2000 bands and local rock bands in town and they were getting airplay on her show. And this guy from out of state comes in a new program director and decided to cut her back uh, to an hour and push her show back, you know, past midnight and all this other crap. So we started doing a protest boycott, you know, behind the scenes, we started calling their sponsors. And within months, that program director got fired. They brought in uh, their old PD who was local, used to manage Godsmack, you know, legend. Uh, And he basically came, when he came back, he told her like they would never mess with her show again because the corporates were scared. But not only that, all the other rock stations in town started yeah. adding tons of local music during the day. So yeah. once one sees it, all of yeah. them say, oh, wow, we, we yeah. you know, people actually care about this. Sure. You know, so if, if, if we make, you know, progress on Netta or Rev Clinics or whoever it is, you know, Leaf, then the rest are going to just fall like dominoes. I've seen that happen over and over and over again. So people need to know that this is, you know. The fight right now, I think, is really a netta, but this is about the entire industry. And once people see that we're not going to take this, it will fall like dominoes. I know it will. I agree. Uh, thank you, Fabricio. Um, I want to ask, because this is coming up in the comments, too, about the politicians. Because there's a lot of money going around to these politicians, and we're mm-hmm. starting to send it around to them. Um, you know, I'm seeing Attorney General uh, Mara Healy posting about how bad Amazon is to their workers. And I'm like, here's a link to Netta. Like, here's the story. And I don't see her reposting that. I don't see them talking about it or sharing it. Like, have you heard it from any politicians, the attorney general, any state reps, state senators, the governor? Like, is there any kind of response back from them when they're made aware of what's going on in Netta? Their response, in my opinion, is very weak. Uh, it's just a response just to say that they responded. Uh, we, part of our plan, uh, and, and Hugh and, and the other organizers were doing more of the political side of the campaign. 
Utsara that we have a very aggressive plan to hold some of these politicians accountable to the point where they either they either going to have to say publicly that they are on our side or on other side or any other employer out there. We're not going to go halfway. This is you're either with us or we're not. against us. And, okay. Yeah. This 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 whole like yeah we'll take a look at it. Yeah we'll will look like the CCC response type of uh, attitude won't fly anymore, right? Uh, we don't we don't need them, but right? they need us for their votes. So they want to piss us off, then fine. You want to you want to take the other side, then take the other side. We don't have a problem with that, but take a side, okay? Just take a side. If you're gonna be on the company side, then let's make that really clear in public, and then fine. Then suffer the consequences of making that um, that choice. But just remember that that we're not going to hide. We're not we're not gonna sugarcoat, right? And but yeah, their response has not been the greatest uh, at all. They, you know, it's very easy to say Amazon sucks, right? Because it's such a big monster, right? right? And and but how about how about the other little monsters here in your own states? That's what I'm saying. And you should be should be trashing them and saying that you're not gonna let this happen in your own state, but yet, you know, when you say Amazon, it's almost like you don't have a lot of responsibility, right? Yeah. So, so broad. Who's going to come after her for that? Nobody. Yeah. It's really broad. Then we talk about your company here in your backyard. Can we talk about them? Right. Uh, So yeah, we haven't, we're very disappointed when it comes to that. Oh, wow. We're the young jerks. And uh, yeah, I'm going to read some comments because there are some comments. Um, uh, Jill, Jill wrote, she said, uh, completely agree. Babs is a very good friend of mine and the way they've treated her is unacceptable. She's very dedicated to protecting not only herself, but her yep. fellow workers. So people know Babs. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you have some support there. And, you know, uh, a friend of mine, Eric Schwartz, who he, he does a lot of work. Uh, he's got his own farm bug cooperative. He's someone I should actually put you guys all in touch with. I don't know if you're already in touch with him, you, but uh, he talks to a lot of politicians and he's talking about the politician angle too. And he said he literally talked to a state rep on the joint committee of marijuana policy that has Netta in her district. And he said to her, it says that you're pro labor on your website. Netta is in your district. They're, they're trying to break up unions. And then she got real quiet. And then she said something like, yeah, I've heard about the problems at Netta. And that was it. Like, See, I hate that kind of answer. I heard yeah. about the problems. That, that's yeah. great. Yeah, but they won't do the anything. Problems. Kind of answer is that. And he even, you know, he goes on to mention, uh, you know, he was taken aback because it's like exactly that. He know, he knows he can sniff the BS. Yeah. yeah. It's like, what are you doing about it? It's it's really uh, I'm frustrated, but uh, not not as frustrated as I was two years ago. You know why? Huh. You know why? Because UFCW is here, and you guys are here. Like. I know that we can win this. I really think that we can win this for workers. Two years ago, I was really down because I was like, there's nothing, you know, with just us, like, what are we going to do? So I'm, I'm looking forward to see what you guys do next. Um, I mean, we, I'm sure Natasha, did you see anything at uh, Northampton that you think, you know, you should share with us? Cause we, you know, we had a last time we had four different employees on, and they, you know, shared a lot of stuff with us that was kind of news to a lot of folks. Um, I'm just wondering, cause you're, you know, you were at Northampton, you're, uh, 
new to the show today. I'm just wondering if you have anything to add about some of the health and safety issues and why you decided to join the union. Um, so, I mean, like in terms of uh, why I decided to join the union, um, I I guess I kind of saw like the writing on the wall of sort of like where Netta was going as a company. Um, when I uh, when I first started working at Netta, um, I mean, like I heard from some of the OGs, as we call them, that like Netta was kind of sketchy, but like I didn't really want to sort of like believe that. Um, you know, I, I regret to say it, but like, you know, I was kind of into the sort of like corporate propaganda. Um, but then like, you know, I kind of figured things out and realized that like they at the very least like you know since like they they got bought out if not going further back than that um they definitely really uh didn't care uh as that much about their employees especially once I started hearing stories about like out in Franklin um like I I don't think that anything that happens um at least out in uh, Northampton really compares to the stuff out that happens out in Franklin. And like, you know, I mean, like we should, we should all rally behind, um, each other and, and help each other out. Um, but I mean, like in, in terms of kind of like, or in addition to all of that, I guess, um, also like some, some other things that sort of like started to to change for example um like uh they they talked about um changing how like pay structures worked um going down to like three to five percent wage increases um for uh all of us but um new hires uh would be um starting out at fifteen dollars an hour and only getting um three percent increases which um, I mean, in my opinion, didn't seem really fair considering the fact that like, you know, people in my hiring group got like a much more significant raise. Um, like, and, and I mean, like, you know, like this is like the cannabis industry, like we should be getting paid for like, you know, our skill and knowledge and the time that we put into, um, all of these things. Um, on top of that, I mean, like, you know, there's the whole kind of like fight for $15 an hour uh, movement, but like $15 an hour isn't in reality actually isn't that much of a living wage, especially in Northampton um, and like Western or like the pioneer Valley, it's a five college town. So there's like rents like dramatically high. Um, um, so like, I, I thought that that was uh, not, not fair. And that was, that was a lot of BS. Um, they also like slashed our insurance benefits for those of us who are uh, full-time. Um, like for example, uh, me personally, I'm a type one diabetic. Um, so I rely on insulin. Um, I've never had to pay more than $50 for like a three month supply. And, um, when I talked to Cigna, they told me that that was going to be $150 for a three-month supply. Um, our previous insurance, um, like all of my like insulin pump supplies and what's classified as durable medical equipment, um, 
all of that was like covered a hundred percent and they dropped it or like they pretty much dropped that coverage um to include like a thousand dollar deductible and also um like Cigna decided that like um my my actual insulin pump supplies like weren't um considered like necessary which was kind of weird um but I guess the point that I'm making there is that like they uh went from like what was decent insurance previously um to like something significantly worse which is in my experience typically just a sign of the company trying to like you know not invest as much in their employers and save money basically on on just not having to pay as much for an insurance plan and as someone who's chronically ill that uh like very much so dramatically affects me and my like actual quality of life um and uh also just like the the language that was being used around like um unionizing in general like it was very clear that it was like a very strong anti-union stance and i mean like you know i mean like just seeing that really kind of like pushed me further because it was like oh you guys are are especially like against um unionizing like on par with like someone like walmart or amazon um like i um i just have kind of like a baseline belief that like workers should probably unionize in general um the corporation's best interest is in profit at the expense of the employee basically and unions help to you know protect against that and protect workers um definitely had something else to say um all right uh and i i don't really feel like netta kind of like in vested in us a lot in terms of like training um i feel like i i understand like a lot of the the focus on um like you know like training and compliance that's definitely really important and like i know a lot about compliance thanks to that but um they didn't really do a whole lot of training um in my experience when it came to like the the actual product um in terms of things like uh cannabinoids and like terpenes um etc um like um and and they really kind of uh like you know relied on us to have sort of like peer mentorship um but like that's not as effective in my opinion as having like an actual training on like you know the benefits of certain strains um i have a lot of anxiety so i don't smoke sativas at all um because they just freak me out and like i they're they're essentially putting the burden on me to go to my coworkers and say like you know what's your experience with like you know this sativa and this sativa and this sativa rather than just like informing me on the product and making sure that i have like a strong basic understanding um of like the individual strains concentrates etc um and like that's something that like you know would make me um you know a a better worker a better employee um but they didn't want to invest any sort of like time into that 
Yeah, we're um, again, it's Mike Crawford, Young Jerks. We're speaking to uh, some of the folks uh, in UFCW Local 1445, some of the representatives, as well as uh, two, I guess we could say former workers of New England Treatment Access at this point. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, let me ask you all, too, because let's say that you do have a union vote and a union gets voted on and it goes through. Will that bring employees like you back? Is that part of the like plan? Like, how does that work? Do you... Well, I'm not a hundred percent, but from what I basically understand, it's that if the union goes through, I think there would be a major callback to a lot of employees. I could be wrong if I am. Uh, if one of you, either Hugh or Fabrizio, want to correct me, by all means, cool. But um, I think that would be kind of the game plan if the union vote goes through. It's it. Uh, we are. Our goal is to prove to the NLRB that this was unjust, that the NADA did take advantage of it. Uh, even in, in this, uh, I guess, this goal is not only if we win the election, but even now during this cool off period that we're having uh, is to, to push NADA to, have a, to call everyone back to work. So she is right uh, about that. Um, like I said, Nana now has a really has a, a, a perfect scenario, right? They it's they do they, right. they have the advantage right now because of the COVID nineteen. That's right. And that's what we're and that's my argument with the labor board. That's my argument with the company that they took advantage of it. Um, do they have to do that right now to call everybody back to work? No, they don't, because every company has the right to lay off, right? They can lay off. They can. Like if, if you're an employee at will, right, they don't even have to have a reason to fire you, unfortunately. And uh, what we are trying here, honestly, has never been done before. So we are thinking out of the box. We are looking in areas where we've never looked into before. Uh, we, are, we are looking at the situation with a different set of eyes. We're trying to make sure that we have a different angle because at the end of the day, what I see is I don't have to prove that I have a to prove that I have a perfect case. I have to prove to them why I don't have a perfect case. Okay, I have to prove why uh, that how the company really tried to cover this whole thing up and took advantage of a very sensitive uh, period of the whole world, not just our country, not only our state, right, to cover their dirt pretty much and and to cover the fact that they don't care about work um so yes that is our goal is not just to win the election is to find a path to put all these workers back to work uh, not just because of pay not just because of uh, uh of having a union per se but they need to be we need to prove that they needed to be respected and uh, this is um, not just about you know the local having more members or or having, you know, another location that we represent, but this is morally right that we need to do this. It's the right thing to do. Um, even if we never had a chance to have a union vote, it doesn't matter. Okay. It, it's just, you don't do that to work as in Massachusetts. You don't do this to work as in this country. 
and this is just not gonna fly. So, but she is right. That is the end goal. It it doesn't automatically uh, triggers that once we uh, win this election. Okay, uh, but we are building a case uh, with that goal in mind. No, you mentioned sure. the NL NLRB, which is what uh, National uh -huh. Labor Relations the National Board? Labor Relations Board. Yes. Now are they like because uh, I've heard different things under Trump. I don't know. You tell me. Like, yes. are they still doing what they're supposed to do? And are they beating? Well, you know, uh, and are they going to take action? Like, when do, would you expect Trump? Trump, uh, Trump did appoint some anti-labor folks in Washington D.C. Obviously, you know, uh, unfortunately, whoever sits at the White House affects the work that we do here. Under President Obama, we had a. Uh, I'm not going to say more a more worker-friendly board, but a. Uh, a more balanced approach or, or a fair, right? But right now we just have people who are anti-worker, unfortunately. But you know what? I don't let that bother me. And I believe that justice comes no matter what. So I believe that we can make enough noise that it will look so ugly for them to cover this up. That's sort of my goal. So yeah, does it make it more difficult? Is it more challenging for us to win our cases? Yes. Uh, but we have to live with the, the fact that we're not always going to have a, a, a friendly uh, labor board, right? Shouldn't be that way. They should be there to make sure that the workers get the right protection and the laws are, uh, are followed. But it's not a, uh, it, that's the world that we live in. So I don't let that, because uh, if, we, if we approach the situation in that way, then you're already defeated, yeah. right? So it's all right. Trump wants to appoint whoever he wants to appoint. He wants to be an asshole then fine we'll uh we'll, we'll we'll deal with that you know and hopefully we can vote him out of the office very soon too right i mean elections do matter if you care about yeah. workers right elections, elections matter, matter. Uh, you know, people forget had, that they're, they're about workers had, right yeah. and then they go vote yes. for trump i mean come right. on that uh, doesn't the, make any sense yeah and I'll, and the national labor relations board uh they decide all these union issues you know yeah. you, you could take your case to them when do you like how does that time line work and time frame? Like, would we expect something to be happen in the next 30 days or does it take a year? Like, how does that work for them to hear this case uh -huh. of, you know, what they're, all this Netta crap that's happening? So, yeah. So right now our case with Netta is here in Massachusetts. So it's not going to Washington yet. Um, so the, what we are right now is, we have a notice of a hearing for an election. So we can have what's called the stipulation of election. So we're looking to have the hearing in the next seven days. Oh, wow. What happened was the hearings got delayed because the board closed. And you know we are in 2020. So I don't know why they didn't think about having a Zoom meeting to have the hearings, but I guess it's delayed, delayed, delayed. They all want to delay, right? We're having town hall meetings with our members with over 300 people in town hall meetings, right? Virtual town hall meetings. Uh, I think the board would have been able to, uh, to have that capability, but they just, they took their time. And now with enough pressure from the AFL CIO and other groups, uh, they've decided to get back to work. Again. So what we are looking at is we will have this decision to have an election day. So when you look at the timing, if everything goes well with the hearing and we don't have a lot of issues, we should be having an election by the end of June, unless some other surprises come, comes up. Now, uh, what would happen is if the 
if Netta has a big problem with the election results and were to file objections to the election, that's when things get really hairy and it goes to Washington, D.C. And that could take up to six months to a year. Uh, it is true. But what we are hoping to do here is build enough uh, support and enough noise that we won't even let them do that, that this is a very clear, clean election with no objections, that the majority votes for the union and that they don't have any room to file objections. And, and they will have to be sort of, so the election will have to be certified seven days after the election takes place. And then the next step is to get them to the bargaining table and start bargaining a union contract with them. So that's the goal. Uh, so things could happen very quickly here, it sounds like. And even yes. if it's extended, it's still not too long. Right. Now, now, um, Fabricio and uh, Hugh, you guys have, I'm sure, been involved in what's going on over at CureLeaf. CureLeaf has uh, mm -hmm. recently voted to unionize. They're the first. No, not the first, because uh, uh, the other one did. Sarah, Sarah did, but yeah, they're they're one of the you know uh, first dispensaries to vote mm -hmm. on this union. But I guess probably the second. I think they're the second in Massachusetts. CureLeaf is um, now. Have have things changed since they had that union vote? And Curaleaf seems like they're you know not disputing it. They they have a union at Curaleaf. Uh, do you see things changing? Like have like what kind of improvements? Because I've heard from some Curaleaf you know employees, it seems like it's not too bad over there. It seems like they're getting taken care of compared to what's going on at Netta. Like, can you tell us like the differences between what's you know how Sierra and uh, Curaleaf treat their employees who are, you know, unionized compared to someplace like Netta. Hugh, do you want to say something about that on Curaleaf or? Sure. So this yeah. is, I uh, guess, yeah. So we'll make the so Curaleaf um, in New York is organized. Um, mm -hmm. We're working on that in Massachusetts. We're not there yet. Have oh, so it still hasn't happened in Mass. It's it's just it's, right. it's in process. Yeah, it's a process though. Okay. Um, so. Uh, but here's what I can tell you from my experience with someone like Cure Relief. Um, Cure Relief is just as bad um, as Netta. Um, there's no doubt on that. Um, Multi-state employer, big business, big, um, actually really big kind of business. So um, they have investments from all these big multi, uh, you know, national companies. Um, and the issue is, is that in facilities that are non-union, they get treated just as bad as uh, NADA workers at a non-union facility. So New York is really new. So New York relief workers uh, ratify their contract. Um, so they are officially now union in New York. Um, yeah. And that's, that's new. So um, we're hoping that the Massachusetts workers because of what NETA workers have done, have shown that it can be done, um, will then reach out uh, to local 1445 and begin the same process, even if it's just a conversation, you know. And 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 you know, and, and that's what we're hoping for. You know, it's workers knowing that they have the opportunity to speak up for themselves, know that they have the opportunity to uh, say what's been wrong to them and their coworkers, and you know, at the end of the day. The patients are being wronged, and that you know people are paying four hundred five five hundred dollars an ounce uh, for cannabis that has molds and 
mold and aphids in it, and the workers have to hope that they can get through the day. Um, and that's the thing. I think anybody that knows this industry and knows the amount of skill that goes into this, and I think Natasha brought up a, a great point. You know, in any other business or industry, when you're being trained or they want you to be better at your job, usually send you to a school, or they pay for your schooling, um, or they, they do something. You know, they're not even providing those basic uh, skills to workers. So when they, when they come in, they, they can properly take care of the adult use user or the patient on the medical side. Um, and, I, and I think that's, that should scare patients. Um, like Natasha brought up too. You know, she has, she has anxiety. You know, someone yeah. doesn't know. And they smoke a sativa, you know, some, some, some sky dog or something like that, you know, and then a uh, star dog. And then, you know, they're, they're lifted off, off somewhere else and they're not going to really want to feel. Right. You know, that, that butt tender loses a client, loses a patient. That affects the bottom line, all because the business didn't do the right thing. And who would get hurt when they lose bottom line? They'll just fire workers instead of actually training them. Um, and that's something that we've been talking about a lot, is making sure that workers get properly trained. In California, the UCW has worked with the state of California to create a state approved apprenticeship program yeah so yeah. it's not like these things haven't been done in other states workers yeah. in other states are have stood up are fighting back it's just the east coast is such a business model that um they're taking over so quickly right um I'm, you, i'm gonna stop you right there your your uh signals like a little glitchy yeah. so the audio is a little f f funky but uh i we got your message i mean because i think that one thing I know about cannabis now, especially in business, it's so much about education and training. Like this is like people don't know. Like you know, you, especially when you have a recreational shop, people coming off. I mean, I know I know the frontline workers know this. Mm -hmm. You got grandma coming in. They mm -hmm. they don't know what anything about you know the med. They smoked a joint in the seventies with Cheech and Chong. You know what I mean? Like they don't know. Uh, they don't know. They don't know anything about this. Even me. Like I've been. Like I said, I've been involved in this forever. I still don't know crap either. I mean, there's so much to learn. So uh, I want to thank you all. I want to thank uh, Hugh, Natasha, Babs, Fabricio. Um, do you like kind of wrapping up? There's quite a few people listening, a few comments here. Is there anything that you want to kind of you know, let people know about tonight, about your fight with Netta and uh, what's going on with workers? Um, I, I think, uh, the most difficult thing, um, at least in, uh, Northampton is Netta is very good with their kind of like corporate Kool-Aid. Um, so there's a lot of people who like are just really kind of like blind to a lot of the issues. Um, like I, I distinctly remember like when I was working there, there were a lot of people who were like very much so in denial about like, you know, like the mold issues and like the various like, you know, like chemicals and stuff in use um, with like the flower. Um, on top of that, uh, right now specifically uh, in terms of my communications from people who uh, both were um, fired uh, and people who were furloughed, um, both of those groups are like still really worried about like reaching out to, um, union reps because like 
in the case of people who are fired, um, they they signed like you know severance agreements saying like you know I won't like disparage the company, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, um, and uh, they're worried that like you know speaking out or like even just contacting a rep may potentially um, like affect that in some way. I get it. And you sign a yeah. piece of paper that says it's just like the Harvey Weinstein thing. Mm -hmm. I mean, yeah. these people, these mm -hmm. victims got abused and he mm -hmm. paid them off to not talk. Right. I mean, it's the yep. same thing. Yeah. We saw Donald Trump did it. Right. Yeah. Um, and then with people who are furloughed, they're just worried that like what happened to, to us is going to happen to them. Um, so a lot of people right now are like really worried and and scared basically i would i would just bring it back to listeners who are in the community who are consumers you have friends especially the leaders you know a lot of the folks that listen to this show are, are kind of the leaders you know they're the folks that uh want to know what's going on and then they bring it back to their friends that don't maybe know as much you got to get the word out you got to let people know like what what they're doing because I, I would not feel comfortable ever shopping at Netta. I, I will never shop there until things change, until this, you know, until they recognize a union and start, rep, you know, recognizing you guys and fixing some of these issues. So I'm with you. Do you, do you want to add anything, Babs? Keep fighting the good fight. Like, that's it. That's all you really need to do. Um, at the end of the day, this is to encourage better betterment for not just like the patients or the clients, but the workers too, because it's the workers that also make up this industry. It's not just the people that are served. It includes the people that act as the middleman providing a service with a very needed product. And this product needs to be handled accordingly. It needs to be handled yeah. appropriately. And this industry needs to have knowledgeable people because inconsistent product is just inconsistent product. I get that there's a massive demand, but there's a way to do it right and still meet that demand. And this is to any like cannabis worker out there that's struggling or feeling like they're at their like ends wit it's okay because you're not alone there's a whole movement reach out you can find the resources you can start making the change you can start standing up you can start getting what you deserve yeah there's a power in that too i tell you i've been through tough times in my life and sometimes you know i walked away myself i walked away from a six-figure job in 2008 you know, knowing that I wasn't going to get anything else because I had been also, you know, there's a long story behind that, but you know, it was about morals. And, uh, I, I feel so good that I did that like today, you know, I, I went through a lot of tough times, but when you stand up for yourself and you do the right thing, you'll be amazed at just, just the way it changes things. You may, it may be difficult. It may be difficult, but in the long run, I mean, you can't, you can't win something without like, you know, you're not going to get a better outcome for everybody for this movement. If, if you don't stand up, you have to, it demands it. Do you want to add anything of uh, the two union leaders, Hugh or Fabricio? 
I I agree. I just want to thank that you know workers like uh, Babs and uh, any worker out there who uh, may feel that or Natasha obviously uh, they're the true leaders at the end of the day. Right. We just provide the 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 support, right? Um, uh, it bec it's because of them that I learn more about cannabis. Hugh and all the other organizers, Aiden Coffee. And there's a there's a huge support behind this whole campaign, right? This is not a one man show, uh, and obviously the union. At the end of the day, it's the workers, right? We we work here, we work in the office, we run the campaigns, we do the whole support. But if it wasn't for the workers, they are the true union. They're the ones fighting uh, inside of the jobs and inside of their uh, factories or growers or dispensaries. And, you know, it takes a lot of courage to do that, to do what you believe. And they, they've been doing that. I respect them for that a lot. Um, I was at work at one point myself. And, you know, I don't, I don't go to work uh, today where I am trying to organize my workplace. But I, that, that is a difficult thing to do, uh, that you have to go to work, do your job, and still empower your coworkers and fight against the company and your supervisors. So uh, that is, uh, that, that, that's something that you have to have a lot of respect for. Uh, what I would like to add also uh, from what Hugo was saying uh, on the cure relief contract that was ratified actually today, I was actually reading that contract before we jump on the call because one of the uh, directors sent me a copy of the agreement and I know that we kind of talked about that earlier, but there's some good language here. And I, I remember that Natasha was talking about uh, some of the stuff that she needs due to her, her health. Uh, and, you know, this contract has almost zero employee contributions, okay, out of pockets. Okay, the company almost pays 100% of the health insurance for these workers, right? So at the end of the day, it makes you feel good that these workers not only are not only going to have uh, a wage increase and respect, but they're going to be well taken care of because they have a guarantee and writing on the contract when it comes to the wages, their health insurance, uh, language that protects them at work, uh, retirement. Uh, you know, this is this is something to be proud of, and I know that all of this comes with a lot of fighting and a lot of sacrifice, and uh, we're hoping that. The sacrifice that Babs, Natasha, and all her, their co-workers, uh, you know, have been putting for uh, years, okay? Uh, whether it's uh, not just Aneta, but I mean, I, I know that workers like them, this is not their first uh, fighting for justice uh, campaign, if you will, okay? Because this is in your heart, right? Whether this happened in your community, at home, with your families, with your coworkers at school, this is some. This is who you are, right? So what we want to do is make sure that we uh, honor the sacrifice, and we honor uh, the uh, the efforts, and we can do the same here for Ned and workers across the state of Massachusetts. So I I, I just want to say thank you that you guys uh, you know took on the fight. Uh, we want to thank you. Uh, Hugh and for setting this up, Mike and everybody else listening to us. Uh, you know, without this support, without all of you guys involved, 
this wouldn't be able, we wouldn't be able to get this done. So, well, you but, got a lot of people behind you. I know it. Yeah. I've, I've felt it the last couple of weeks since we've been on this. People are really, they want to see change. And I have a feeling that Netta is feeling it. I just know they are. They have to be feeling yeah. it at this point. So I, I huge props to uh, the, the the workers. You know, Babs yeah. and Natasha for coming on today. Thank you so much. Yeah, thank you of for course. Us. Thank you, Hugh, over in Philly. I don't know if he dares to turn his mic on now. Look at him. I love him. I'm there. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. He's doing it again, but that's okay, Hugh. We love you. <laughs> so uh, I guess we're gonna wrap up now. Um, I'm gonna try to get Grant Smith on the phone on the uh, on the line. He's producing behind the scenes, and maybe uh, you know he he and I can wrap it up and uh, chat about what we just heard. But I want to thank you all again, uh, Natasha, Babs, uh, Fabricio, and Hugh for coming on. And you can say hello to Grant now. He's on the screen too. Hello, everyone. He's our producer. Hey, Grant. <laughs> nice to see you guys. Very great conversation. I enjoyed every minute of that discussion. So thank you all for allowing me to be present and uh, listen to that. And do you want to ask a question too, Grant? Because you always have little questions that you want to ask, or you, did you think they all got answered tonight? Well, you definitely hit on almost every topic I would have asked about. Um, the key topic that I think you guys brought up was you the struggle uh, with the regulatory agency in the context of responding to your concerns. And as someone who has a lot of contact with regulators and spends a lot of time dealing with the minutia of regulatory oversight in this industry, I wanted to let you know that if you ever want to reach out to me and uh, let me know uh, what those concerns are, you can let Mike know as well. I will do everything I can to ensure that at a bare minimum, your concerns are given a fair public airing in front of those commissioners without question. Perfect. We'll put you in touch. Thank you. Yeah. I'm sure. Yeah. Thank you Aiden, very much. We, I, I'm, I'm surprised I haven't done that already. I don't know. It's funny. But yeah, we'll we'll definitely get that done. Uh, I want to thank you all, and he, Grant really does. He he's uh, he's kind of like a he he's always involved in the CCC. He's not an applicant. He's just kind of a an advocate, and uh, he's got a lot of relationships now with them. So we'll definitely uh, we'll we'll try that angle too. I want to thank you all for coming on the show today. Yeah, thank you. Thanks for having us. Thank you. And uh, Grant, are you still there? Yeah, I guess we can wait until some of the yeah. guests pop off if you yeah. want to have a discussion, Mike. Yeah, just a little bit. We got. We, I mean, we have a little other news too, maybe. I don't know. There's a lot we could probably talk about today. What do you think? Yeah, w why not? We, I mean, uh, what do you? Is there anything you specifically want to get into? I mean, we should probably talk about that interview first. You know. And, yeah, I mean, I I cannot believe um, the level of detail that we get from the first person perspective uh, from employees in public. Um, from people who have actually experienced this because so much of the breakdown in the oversight of these issues is the fact that that employee voice doesn't come out. So the union deserves a huge degree yeah. of credit for what they were able to accommodate by getting these voices out there. And it's hard for them. I mean, I'm, I'm been talking to them for a while and they're up against a lot, you know, and this is a big investment for them. You know, they're spending a lot of manpower and hours, but they, they care about these employees. So, Hopefully Yeah, and you, yeah. Can, 
you can really hear it in everything that the employees and the union organizers say. It's they're not interested in this from the perspective of how can they benefit themselves. They really do care about those who they think will be coming after them and, and experiencing this. And if you think about it, that's how the union movement in the United States came to prominence. I, I'm sure folks realize this, but sometimes it's easy to get lost because- Yeah, why we even have a 40 hour distance. week. Right. I mean, it, it, otherwise exactly. we'd be working seven days a week. With it, just 120 years ago in Lowell, there were children working in factories for five cents an hour for 10 hours a day dying. And the government would say, well, that's a shame. At least the factory owner continued to make his looms or whatever, you know. And they were children oftentimes, right? I mean, they, these yes. are kids that they were employing. They, they, it's funny because uh, the union is calling this, you know, what's going on in Massachusetts, tree and roses. And it was bread and roses back in Lowell. That was the movement. That's where the union movement started in America was right here in Massachusetts, Lowell, really, I believe, if I'm correct, uh, someone can correct me if I'm wrong, but that's my understanding. That's why Elizabeth Warren uh, launched her presidential campaign at the Lowell Mills, for that reason. So here we are, we, 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 where it started, and we're back again fighting for worker rights, and this time it's in cannabis. And, you know, I don't think a lot of people realize how dangerous this industry can be if there's not proper oversight, if there's not proper safety. I mean, it's like, you know, Fabricio said tonight, it was, you know, we're talking about if this was a restaurant, they would have been shut down like a week ago. If this was Dunkin' Donuts, but, you know, because it's cannabis, no one wants to touch it. You know, everyone's like, oh, I don't want to be the bad guy. I don't want to rain on the cannabis. Well, I'm as pro-cannabis as you can get, and something needs to be done about health and safety of workers at NETA. There's no question about it. And if they have to shut it down, if, I, I mean, I don't want people to lose their jobs over there, but something's got to be done. Something has to be done. Well, we my yeah. and aphids, and we heard tonight about uh, pet, like, you know, chemical, I don't know what they, the correct word that they said, but it didn't sound good. It sounded like some other stuff might've been going in those plants too. I didn't really drill down on that, but. Well, the reason I bring, the reason I was going to interject there is that um, this actually ties into a policy discussion. So as you, as folks know, you know, the adult use industry shut down, uh, but the Cannabis Control Commission is still operating. And in fact, some adult use operators can actually continue to work with a skeleton crew if they get a special dispensation to designate those products for sale into the medical supply chain. Well, uh, last week, the commission brought up virtual inspections. Now, Mike, the reason I bring this up is that you know that a big breakdown in the pa in, in patient safety, right, is the key insight about dangerous product. The key breakdown is that there's loopholes in the testing system right now for regulated businesses, right? And now the commission is thinking about how to do virtual inspections. But the problem is that there are some small applicants, especially in the queue right now, who really do need virtual inspections. But at the same time, it opens the door to even more loopholes. So it's a discussion happening now that I think the union probably wants to be involved in for good reason. Yeah, there's a lot of, I'm, this is why when people see me get frustrated about the CCC, it's just it's examples like this in our government. And meanwhile, uh, we should talk about the Cannabis Control Commission open board seat too, that, that little thing that came out this week. Oh, you know, I... I didn't even notice. No, I, I very much did notice. Well, it's funny because we're like 
behind the scenes, I don't know if people knew, well, I think a lot of people in the community knew, but a lot of us wanted you to be on the commission. Like that was kind of, we were hoping that we could get you on there and like the seat. And then it turns out that the seat has to go to someone who's unenrolled, an unenrolled voter um, or a Republican. You can't go to a Democrat this time. And it turns out you're enrolled as a Democrat. Well, not, I'm not, but I was enrolled as a you Democrat were. recently enough to disqualify me from being able to apply right yeah. now. So. It has to be for the last two years. And you know what, too, before I fill out the 14 page application, I'm going to have to actually make sure that, you know, cause I've heard in the past people are enrolled, you go pull a primary ballot and then they change your, you know what I mean? Accidentally change. So I want to make sure before I do the 14 pages, but uh, you know, the reason I say 14 pages is because people are suggesting I should apply because <laughs> I'm an unenrolled voter and I apparently do have some regulatory experience, which is a requirement. And I'm not sure I fully qualify on that. That's why I'm kind of worried about filling out the 14 pages, but we'll, we'll uh, you know, basically, uh, I guess I'm going to apply for the cannabis control commission open seat and see what happens. Um, however, you know, we, I posted something about that this week that, yeah, I will apply because people kept asking me to do it. But, um, I, you know, I don't think I'm going to get the seat. <laughs> I really, I mean, just, I don't want to raise people's hopes. You know, I mean, here I am criticizing, you know, Mara Healy tonight, if you notice a little bit, and that's who needs to appoint me. It's governor Baker, Mara Healy and uh treasurer gold Goldberg. And, you know, two out of three of those, I've pretty, ha have, you know, gone, especially Charlie. I mean, I, I haven't been, uh, super supportive of Charlie Baker over the years, maybe more recently about the COVID-19 yeah. response, but you know, I'm a very long shot candidate, you know? Sure. So, but I also think that what makes a regulator, a special person is that you need to be independent. And so I don't think that our appointee, our constitutional appointment authorities, uh, the governor, the treasurer and the AG are going to want a sycophant per se. I think that that kind, the kind of independence you bring to every issue is the kind of thing that makes you an ideal regulator. And I think that those three public officials, when they review candidates, I think the primary question they're going to ask is not so much what's in their best interest. I really don't believe they look at it that way. I think the question is going to be what is in the best interest of the Cannabis Control Commission. And to me, someone who has your demonstrated track record of not only looking at issues, becoming passionate about them, learning about them, and then taking a position, but evolving on issues. And that's what your track record shows, Mike. And I think that when these people take the time to look at your application and to look at the work that you've done, what they're gonna see is someone who's not only fiercely willing to stand up in defense of the most vulnerable, the downtrodden, and those without a voice, but also someone who's willing to say, it's possible I should evolve my view. And those two things together are a very good combination. Mean, isn't it human to be wrong? I, I wish more people could see it as easily as you. Let's put it that way. I asked my girlfriend. I'm wrong every friggin' day. She's probably not talking to me right now because <laughs> I talk too much about her, her AAF stuff. I mean, today on the show. But, you know, I'm wrong every day. And, and most of the time, I'm like, yeah, you're right, honey. <laughs> I mean, it's just, I don't know. This is what kills me about everything about politics and people today on social media in general. And I can get like this too. Don't, you know, I'm human, <laughs> but 
so many people are just so intractable. They can never admit, you know, they can never admit that they're wrong. Like no matter, it's like the the facts are staring you right in the face and you're like, no, I'm right. That that's to me where, you know, I I think there's a little bit. Yeah. No, I I think there's a little bit of privilege there too, in the sense that it is a, it is absolutely a blessing to be in a position where you can take an ideological view on a matter of public policy, right? Because that's what we need. We, we need people who take it from an ideological perspective, but the impact of those decisions are what food goes on people's tables and if the people's kids are gonna have a college fund and if people are gonna have a retirement fund. So I absolutely get why there's that emotional response when dealing with very complex regulatory issues related to businesses. But at the same time, I get very frustrated when people try to weaponize uh, that discussion because it makes discussing the facts impossible. Happens a lot now. You know, one of the things I love about doing this show, and that that's, you know, don't kid yourself. This is going to be a huge sacrifice for me to apply for this Cannabis Control Commission because it's going to be a 14-page application. I'm going to go through all this crap. It's unbelievable how much stuff they want. So I'm going to do that. I'm going to work on that all weekend, probably spend 100 hours. Who knows? But um, but even if I do take it, like even let's say that they – crazily decide I'm the guy. I, I don't believe that's going to happen. But let's just say Grant seems to have more confidence than myself, but let's just pretend it were to happen. And I accept the position. You know, one of the things that I would really miss is doing all the work that we do. You know, so, you know, it is, you know, the paycheck would be great, but in a way it wouldn't be as much fun. I got to admit, like it just wouldn't, I mean, it's going to be fun and nice in other ways, no doubt about it, but other ways, it's a, it's a sacrifice. You're serving. You are definitely serving. And that's one of the reasons this week when I was thinking about this, why I came around to like really praising Shaleen Title, because I have been critical on her, I think, unfairly, unnecessarily, honestly. She, she, I mean, this is a difficult position, difficult job that she handled, she's done. And without her, there wouldn't be any SC. There wouldn't be, you know, so... A lot of people, not a lot, a couple of people, you know, there's different factions going on and they're, they're kind of getting nasty and I'm just not like feeding into that. Um, But I just, you know, think that kind of losing my track of thought, honestly, but I think that uh, one of the things I love, I'm going back to is I love about this show and doing this is how much we learn from our audience, our community, uh, the people that come on here. I mean, I think the best shows are me mostly shutting the hell up and listening and just being like, okay, I'm directing the conversation. You know, they said this, we'll ask another question. Like I like, you know, we've done shows obviously over the years where sometimes it's just me talking and I'm going off on something. And some people like that. They like when I go on a rant, other people are like, Oh, he's on a rant. I don't want to listen. But I think the best shows and the best for my soul is when, like we had tonight, we had four great people on sharing their stories and sharing their information. And I think that's where myself I've grown. Like I've changed. This show has changed me and not just this show, the show before, you know, we started out, I was the two hotheads on activism, no two hotheads on cannabis way back on unregular radio. Uh, I was, uh, the, you know, the first show I ever did, it was on unregular radio. 
with uh, Steve Epstein. It was myself and attorney Steve Epstein, the founder of MassCam Normal. Uh, we had a show together for a little while. And I was pretty like libertarian, like Republican almost at that point. And it was like the Ron Paul era, you know, Gary Johnson. We had Gary Johnson on the show. We had uh, Judge Jim Gray. You know, I was really kind of that, you know. So I can I can relate to a lot of the right wing and Republicans in some respects and small government and all that shit. But over time, I just saw what it really was. And I and I changed. And a lot of it has to do with the show. And it was also the fact that sometimes, you know, you know, like later on, I would do uh two hotheads on cannabis with uh, Heather Mack and then Frank Capone. And Frank Capone was a, he was similar as me, a libertarian Republican, not a Republican, but a libertarian. But he was like a, uh, he ended up becoming a delegate for Ron Paul, uh, you know, at the national convention when I think it was Mitt Romney or whatever, that got nominated on uh, the ticket. But, uh, you know, Frank, Frank, very similar to me in some respects. And, uh, you know, I, I just remember at one point, Frank and I looked at each other and he said, you know, you ever notice when we're around these libertarians, when they've had a couple of drinks, some of them start getting really racist, you know? And so like, I think life experience really should open your mind more often than I'm right. And, and I'm sticking with this because this is what I know. And this is what I believe because sometimes life is trying to teach you lessons. And we got to open our minds to, to, the, to the interactions. And, and that's, for me, where I grow. When I, when I don't grow, it's when I'm, I'm right. I'm angry, and I'm right, and I'm not changing. You know, that, that to me, is, is my thing for people. I think that we all need to be open more to the world. Because I really feel like the world does give us, like, it gives us information and clues and signs. And we need to pay attention to them. And it doesn't mean that you follow fairy tales. I'm talking about real stuff. When people yeah. tell you, you know, like tonight we did this union show and, and we're talking about workers' rights. And you know what? Tomorrow night I'm, I'm guesting on, uh, on uh, a show that is going to be, you know, broadcast and put on uh, the Barstool Sports uh, Kirk Minahan Network, mm -hmm. which is right wing. And you know what? A lot of those guys, they care about the workers' rights too. They care about uh, what's happening in cannabis in Massachusetts. They care about the crappy products. You know, they're like, why does it suck? Like, they want to know too. So I feel like we need to be a little more open and listen to each other more and learn. Because, you know, I'm not an expert on what's going on at NETA. You know, the way I find out is listening to the employees. And you name a subject, that's how you learn. You go to the people who are into it, experiencing it. If you want to know about, you know, some of the corruption in cannabis, I'm your guy. Cause I, that's what I'm into. I'm into looking into it. And, and you want to know what's going on the cannabis control commission? Grant Smith's your guy. He's right there. But if you want to know how to fix a car, I'm not telling the mechanic how to fix the car. I don't know how to fix the car, the mechanic, you know, and if I want to learn how to fix a car, I'll probably bring them on the show and talk about it. You know what I mean? <laughs> that's what I'm trying to say to people is like, so often we're, we're not listening to the experts. We're not listening to the people's experience next door. And that's, that's the disconnect. That's where I get really frustrated and really angry because it's like, come on, man, these are human beings. They're telling you their freaking life story and you won't even listen to them for five minutes and treat them like a human because you're caught up in Trump versus this or whatever, you know, like this 
political red button thing that you are caught up on. You won't even listen to them. You won't even treat them like humans. It, it speaks to the legacy of Edward Bernays, right? Which is the founder of public relations or propaganda. And just so folks know, before the 1930s, there was no mass cultural propaganda. There was by governments, but not by corporations. And that all changed at uh, Macy's Thanksgiving Day Parade, I think, in the 1920s. Um, and I tell this story because it's a microcosm of exactly what you're talking about, Mike, which is how corporate propaganda undermines real life stories in the pursuit of profit. And so women before the 1920s, it was very unfashionable for them to smoke cigarettes. It was seen as kind of unfeminine, which is very strange. For example, before 1920, women wouldn't even hold the cigarette in their hand. They would hold it in a plastic sort of extension so they yeah, wouldn't right. have to touch it. Yeah, yeah. Like the so, girl. Yeah. Yep. And in the 1920s, Edward Bernays, who was Sigmund Freud's nephew, uh, basically came up with a propaganda campaign for cigarette companies. And he had a bunch of uh, women uh, activists march down the street at the Thanksgiving Day Parade with cigarettes in their hands, smoking them, calling them torches of freedom. Now, clearly, the women liked this idea, the activists, because they should have had the right to smoke cigarettes just like anyone else. But at the same time, it was being driven to advance the profits of cigarette companies. And that is the kind of thing it happens ad nauseum. It's a secret, yeah, secret campaign. Yeah, over and over and over again. And we see it in cannabis, we see it in uh, national politics, we see it in state politics, every issue, there is always a corporate force trying to manipulate public discourse to advance its profit. And part of the obligation of being an informed consumer of information that people oftentimes abdicate, which is what you're talking about, is actually taking the time to parse that through that corporate propaganda to find the kernel of truth. And that's why the show and what the work you do, Mike, and the, you know, the work I'm honored to take part in is so important because sometimes people don't have the luxury of being able to parse that narrative and find out the kernel of truth. And they tune into the young jerks or otherwise, and they hear you saying that kernel of truth and all of a sudden the entire public discourse changes. I hope so in this situation. It seems like it has actually. I mean, I don't, I'm not going to take credit for, I'm not going to say it's us. I just think that the union, and I think that, you know, people being more educated about it and hearing it, you know, and I think that's kind of what, what aggravated me two years ago. People wouldn't hear it. People, people were like, no, we can't, we can't say anything. Even me at first, I didn't want to cover that story. Like it took me a little while to like, say, you know what? Cause you know, the two people that, you know, actually gave me a lot of trouble later, like they were pitching that story for a little while and I did kind of help them, but I didn't want to write it at first, you know, like, it, it, because, you know, I didn't want to ding on the industry. I didn't want to dig on cannabis. It's really hard to say, you know what, because you're worried, like, this could sink the industry. This could sink legal cannabis. This could sink medical cannabis. So it's a, it's a tough one to broach, but I think that uh, over time, people have realized, they've heard from coworkers or former people who work there, they, they, they're starting to see it. And I think that, uh, the big thing is that they're hearing it. They're hearing, you know, for instance, a show where, where, you know, two, three weeks ago, they all came on and they talked about it. And I think that the people who actually listen and don't just shut it out immediately, I think they get it, you know? So I think that's what we all need to do is listen more, listen, you know, 
and I'm not saying, you know, you have to listen to racists. No, I'm not saying that you have to listen to morons. No, but I'm talking about real, real things, real people. We, we should listen to each other a little more, you know? And I think that's one of the issues I'm having with the COVID-19 with these kind of deniers. You know, it's just hilarious to me that people still get up there on Facebook and say, Hey, have you actually known anyone that's gotten sick or died? And then 30 people get up there and say, yeah, my friend died. This person died. This one. And then they don't say anything. They like want to move on to the next day and talk about how it's a hoax. Like that to me is the problem. People aren't listening like to even reality, to people they even know. Like, well, I'll, I'll tell you, um, and maybe it's an insight about where we are in the stage of our Republic, but Plato in the Republic, I think it's book eight, he talks about the degradation of societies over time. And he says that all societies start off as a democracy where only people who own land can vote. And then they degrade into an oligarchy, which is um, you know, controlled by corporations. And then they degrade into a democracy and then they degrade into tyranny. And we might've had a great run with representative democracy in this beautiful country, but you get the sense based on what's happening to our democratic system of will formation that we are very quickly being consumed by these corporate forces who are then being leveraged by political forces to drive the narrative down to the lowest level possible, which means that there's, this is actually great that we got to talk about this because my, the work I was doing in graduate school before I uh, met you was about this topic specifically, which is that if you don't have cogent discourse in a Republican democracy, representative democracy, you don't have legitimate lawmaking and regulation. And that's what you're talking about, Mike, which is your frustration for so many years was you were trying to say, these are the issues that need to be talked about because they will impact the way laws and regulations are written. Well, at this point, I'm actually somewhat pleased to see that the conversation is moving in a positive direction, but make no mistake about it. There are people who spend millions and millions of dollars trying to subvert that cogent discourse to advance their own profit. And that's why our democracy is degrading because there are people who are making money off those people who only have a 15 second attention span and don't bother reading past a headline or whatever it may yeah, be. Yeah, they're voting against their interest all the time too, which is crazy. You know, I, I, uh, I'm more of a policy guy than a party guy. You know, I know, I know on Twitter and Facebook, I'm edgy and, and a lot of the right wingers are like, he's one of those social justice warriors. This is what I heard uh, on Twitter. Uh, it's like today, this morning I woke up to and The guy ended up deleting it because he, he gets it. He, like, you know, I actually like this guy now because he's pretty right wing, but he, he, he is probably going to listen to the uh, podcast uh, that I do. Um, this week uh, with, you know, the, uh, that goes on the Kirk Minahan show, uh, show uh, YouTube, apparently I got to get their name. Actually, I forgot the name of the podcast. I'm screwing up today, but uh, anyways, but you know, it, it's like, I, I get that. I get, cause, cause I, you know, when I am kind of a punk online, I get fired up and I just, you know, throw it out. But mostly if you listen to the show, we don't get like super partisan. Like we're not like always going after Republicans and all that stuff. No, we like we're not talking about Donald Trump every day. No, this show is mostly about policies. Like, what what are we doing? And a lot of these policies aren't left, right. They're just common sense. Like that's, and I, you know, when you start doing that, which we started doing, like you know, I'll give you an example. One of the things that why I stopped being a libertarian on a lot of reasons, 
you know, I had like Gary Johnson on my show one night. Um, you know, we were talking about uh, labor, actually. And he's totally right to work. And, you know, knowing what I knew about unions, I'm like, so isn't really right to work a right to break a union contract? You've taken a union job. And now you're deciding that you don't want the union job. You, you want a job that's not union. After you took that union job that was negotiating a contract with union benefits. So you want all the union benefits that were negotiated, but now you don't want to pay the union dues like that. You're just basically trying to, you know, what, what is that term? You're uh, trying to have your cake and your ice cream at the same time or whatever it is. You know what I'm talking about, right? It's have like, your cake and eat it too. Yeah, there you go. I mean, it's just like, you're, isn't it a right to break a union contract? And he, he wouldn't answer that. He was like, no, no, no. Like, it's just like, that's the type of stuff where I, where I started questioning the policies of the libertarians. I'm like, no, that's not, you guys are supposed to be for rights and liberty and all this other stuff, but it's not really about that, is it? It's about the big corporations. Like you flip-flop on which rights you respect based on where the corporations are. When you really start looking into it, it's like libertarianism isn't really about rights. Because if it was, they wouldn't have a right to break a contract. You know, right to work is breaking a contract. You're taking a union job, which is a contracted job. It's a contracted job between the employer and the employee. And you're taking all those benefits, but then you're saying F you to all the other employees that, you, that you're in a contract with. Like, it's, it's so antithetical when you really look into it. It, do, it actually is against rights to me it's against collective bargaining rights completely but of it's, course they uh, think it's people, in their best interest yeah people going against their best interests, and you know as a group their best interest it might be good for your short-term interest while you're there maybe maybe you only plan to be there for a year and you don't give a shit about you know all the other people you work with but that, that's the type of thing like and again a libertarianism to me is really selfish that's what really what it is it's about being selfish it's like I can always do what I want. I don't care about anyone else. It's like the COVID-19 thing. You know, a lot of these Republicans and libertarians are like, I can do what I want. I don't need to wear a mask when I go into the store. They're yelling at people. They're going into stores and yelling at wage workers. Are you kidding me? You know, I mean, because they're asking you to wear a mask during a pandemic. And you're saying that's taking your rights away. You're in their store. You can't come in my house without a mask. You know, you come into my house and then and then want to tell me what to do in my house. And if, if if they come in my house and I have an employee at the front door and you're yelling at my employee, that, that I mean, that is insane. That is just so rude. That's what we're seeing a lot of. That's well, what like, I'm talking about. Yeah. It's like the difference um, between being an, Ayn Rand follower and being like a John Rawls follower. John Rawls is a bit of an obscure reference to people. I mean, I'm like, who the hell is John Rawls? He was a, a Harvard uh, philosopher in the 1970s and 80s who really didn't like uh, Ayn Rand, who was, you know, uh, the sort of epitome of proto-libertarianism. And basically... She was uh, also kind of a feminist, too, in a weird way, though, too. Yep, yep. But she's definitely more known for her objectivist Libertarian. libertarianism. Yeah. Um, but it, yeah, so it's like following her versus following Jesus, which is one clearly is only interested in doing what they want to do all the time and finding ways to make their ideological outlook fit that. 
And then the other side is the people who view sort of the universal moral norm as the guiding principle, and then they adjust their actions to fit the principle. And so that's what I really dislike about that kind of philosophy. It gets weaponized to justify what you're saying, self-conceit, instead of uh, looking for a reason to help people. And I like to help people, so. Yeah, I, th I think we all are better off when we're helping each other. You know, I've gotten so many uh, good things happen in my life because of friends and family and people doing good things. And, and also personally, I mean, I think a lot of us know this, especially as you get older, uh, it makes you feel good to help other people. I mean, even Republic, like, you know, you, the Kirk Minahan thing, you know, I go off at him a lot. Right. And, you know, he, he's doing cameo to raise money for a family this week. You know, they're going through some hard times. So, you know, I know that everybody, no matter what uh, place you're in, you, you get helping people. I mean, you, I mean, unless you're just a greedy asshole. I mean, most people really do want to help other people. I just think that libertarians feel like uh, if it's, if it's any way forced, it's charity. And it's like asking you to wear a mask in a store is not charity. It's called common sense. That's what libertarians were supposed to be about, like common sense. Like we're in the middle of a pandemic. People are scared. People are dying. The people who are most at risk are the people working in that store. And you can't put on a mask to go in the store. Like that, that to me is just asshole. Like I, I just want to, you know, and then even the ones that don't wear the mask. Okay. That's a level of jerk. But then you turn around and start screaming at the store workers. Have you seen some of these videos of these idiots oh, like yelling yeah. at the store workers because they got asked to wear a mask? And they, what I see, what I find most offensive is I don't mind if someone takes a sign, goes on a sidewalk and says, I'm protesting the fact that you're yeah. making people wear masks. Fine. Fine. These people walk into the store with a mask on, take it off, and then force the employees to touch them and push them out. And right. that, I think, is over the And line. someone that's getting paid, what, $14, $15 an hour? Oh, aren't you a big man? Like that is just, and and they're doing this, and they're like they're doing this in the name of Donald Trump. Well, jackass, go up in the White House and try not to wear a mask in front of Donald Trump and see how it turns out. You want to be a big friggin' jackass, and you want to do something for Donald Trump? Go, go, go! Show Donald Trump what you're doing in his presence. Go up to Donald Trump and say, "I'm not wearing a mask for you, buddy." See what he does, because you know what Donald Trump asked. Anyone that comes into the White House, he asks them to wear a friggin' mask. And that's where I'm talking about. These people aren't even thinking. They don't even consider. Like, and then you bring that fact up, and they won't even acknowledge it. And I know we're going off on Trumpers a little bit, but hey, this, this is where the anti-feeling, anti-thought, anti-compassion comes in. This is Trumpism. I mean, this is, let's call it what it is. I mean, you treat the store workers worse then you treat Trump for doing the same exact thing. Please wear a mask. You yell at the store worker. You go up to Donald Trump. You're going to wear a mask because you're, you're, you, Donald asked you to wear the mask. Well, I think that's, but that goes to what we were talking about earlier, which is that our politics and the level of discourse has degraded to the point where it can be manipulated by charlatans and we've always had charlatans like joseph mccarthy and 
lots of different people throughout history, but those people always got their comeuppance because eventually there was a check and balance. And I'm no fan of the mainstream media. I would not be involved as vociferously as I am with independent media if I thought the mainstream media was doing the right thing. And in fact, someone one time on a Facebook post said, you know, Greg, you should become a writer for a publication and a and a famous, uh, uh, reporter. I have people say that to me so many times. Yeah. I know you're like me. You're like, F no. Well, no. And I didn't even say anything. This reporter who I've always, you know, admired, he has a, Oh, someone big time said that to you. He has a blue. No, no, no. He, this guy saw the comment. He has a blue check mark and everything on Facebook. He said it to you. No, someone big time replied to the comment and said, don't get involved with media. It's completely. They're, they're, yeah. And I said, yeah, you're doing too good of a job independently. You don't want to screw it up by coming to work for the globe. Well, he didn't, he did not say, I know he didn't quote the globe, but I'm saying the globe. You know what I'm saying though? Or ABC news or Fox news or whoever it is. It's, it's, it is, it is a racket in a lot of respects. We know that. But I was, I was saying that because I was actually going to give them a little credit, which is to say, without that kind of media apparatus, I don't think Joseph McCarthy would have been stopped. And I actually spent a lot of time, we never got to talk about this on air, but I spent a lot of time analyzing the comparisons between Watergate and um, the Mueller investigation, because I was very interested as to why there was such a different reaction, where Watergate was kind of like this rising cacophony uh, to the point where it was an impeachment, and uh, the Mueller investigation seemed to be partisan. And what I found was that it really was the media coverage that for what Trump has managed to do is, and the media deserves some, the mainstream media deserves some you know, scorn for this as well, but he's managed to turn the media into a ideological adversary instead of a check and balance. And as a result, he's undermined the efficacy of the media as a check and balance. Now, some people might say, that's great. The mainstream media was corrupt and they were doing bad things. But the reality is they also provided a check on our institutions exactly. that is gone right now. Right. People have to, then that's the things people need to consider. Like the real sheep, they always call people sheeple. You're a sheeple. You can't recognize that the corporate media does suck, but that it also is a check and that it provides a very necessary check against tyranny. And that if you get rid of that corporate media, guess what's going to happen? You know, it's, it's, people are, you call us sheep. I mean, you call us sheep for actually thinking like out of the box. We're not the ones who are sheep. If you're going along with what Fox News says, you're a freaking sheep. If you go along with Alex Jones, you're a freaking sheep. You are being programmed. And you're being programmed by a lot of money and a lot of years. This has been a program that's been happening for a lot of years, funded by billionaires. So who's the real sheep? You know, I'm, I don't consider myself a Democrat, Republican. I'm a human being and I'm trying to use my brains and, uh, we do need this corporate. I'm, you know, and it's funny, they'll, they'll go off the, you, you must watch CNN. You must be Mr. Corporate media. It's like, I'm the guy who's ragged on the corporate media more than anyone. I've written more stories than you have about the corporate media. But without them, it's tyranny. I mean, you got someone like Trump times 10. 
and without the people, we need to vote this November. People need to vote this nonsense out. And I don't want to hear about Joe Biden is terrible or whatever. You got to vote Trump out. This is about Trump and the people dying right now and, and about his tyranny. Like, I don't care about who you could put Donald Duck there. I'll vote for them. Anyone against Donald Trump. Because yeah, he might, is tyranny. Yeah. He is the end of any thought. It's just it's just one thought. Whatever Donald Trump says is God. I mean, that's just I don't follow anybody like that. Like, you know, I like Pearl Jam and Eddie Vedder and all that. But if Eddie Vedder says something crazy, I'm calling his ass out. And I did, you know, he was a little hypocritic about the cannabis use at one point. And he's like, well, I think I'm going to cut back. Now I have a child. And I'm like, Eddie, F you. Like, seriously, like if you, if there's anyone in life, me, that you hold up to a pedestal that you could never question in your own mind, you have to check yourself. Because nobody's a hero like that. Yeah. And I think it's frustrating when people deify political officials because the whole point of a representative democracy is that the voter is supposed to be the check on the political official. So if you, it's like the, what we were talking about earlier with the um, requirement for people to read the news and learn about it on, the, their, on their own. If you abdicate your duty to be informed about what your elected officials are doing, you've basically given up your, the very rights that you claim that you're trying to protect by following these sycophants. And it's so dangerous, like you're saying. And I, I don't know if I've come and come around um, to voting for a neoliberal. Um, I'm, a, I'm a progressive at heart, I think, although I'm more unaligned at this point. But I will tell you that whatever it is that's happening right now to this republic is very much pushing it to the brink of collapse. And I'm not at all willing to continue to support it. Yeah, and what happens, uh, people need to wake up because Trump's trying to destroy the states. Like you watch, these, these states are going to go bankrupt. Cities and towns, your town is going to go bankrupt. What happens when, you know, you don't have enough money to plow the, school, plow the roads? You don't have enough money. I mean, this guy is not, he's out to lunch. And he's going to punish people now for going against him. You watch, like, if things don't, and I guarantee you this COVID-19 is coming back. You know, going to reopen, and then people are going to close down again. And this guy hasn't funded the states at all. They're, they've lost a lot of money. So we, we, there's so many different ways we're screwed and people uh, use terms like sheeple. If you use, if you use the term sheeple, you are a sheep. You've been programmed. If you're calling other human beings sheeple, you are the sheep. Like grab a mirror and stop projecting, point it back at yourself. But we should, um, you know, we do have to wrap it up and we should get back to uh, probably about, you know, the, the Netta situation, COVID-19. I mean, what do you think is going to happen next on this? Do you think the Cannabis Control Commission will ever address this at all? I think it that the answer to that question is directly dependent on what we talked about when I came on uh, at the end of the interview, which was if this issue can be presented in such a way where the Cannabis Control Commission has to discuss it publicly, I can assure you that there will be positive progress on it. And the reason I know that is because I've seen the machinations of how that body acts. And that body reacts in a lot of cases to things like this, but it does not do so if those uh, discussions do not occur in a language that the commission understands. And I'm not justifying the way they approach things at all, but I guarantee you 
that if the discussion about reopening adult use cannabis is bootstrapped into a discussion about workplace safety, that is all of a sudden going to become a primary topic of discussion. I can't believe it hasn't already. I mean, this is what's killing me. Like, cause we warned about this two years ago and now it's come to bite him in the ass. <coughs> Excuse me. Just coughing out of nowhere. But it didn't coming, want, it, it didn't want you to cuss. <laughs> maybe it's coming out of nowhere though. Like it's like, uh, you know, all of a sudden this issue comes back and they're just like, this could put the whole thing at risk. It's, I don't, I don't get why the cannabis control that like they may be out of jobs in a year. If, 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 if this really turns bad, like we don't know what's going to happen. Well, we also don't know. I, I do want to say, um, as you said earlier, I follow the commission pretty closely. They don't tip their hand on investigations. And I'll give a parallel example. Um, last fall, a dispensary owner who had six licenses or something, different oh, yeah. types, got caught diverting cannabis, which means he was selling his legally produced cannabis on the, uh, the traditional market. market. And uh, the commission stripped him of all, they basically shut all his licenses down. And they didn't say a word about it until that happened. And I think that's what sometimes happens, that there are these complex interwoven investigations that they would love to be able to tell the public about, but that would undermine what they're trying to do. I hope so in this case. I think people need to raise hell on it. Hopefully people do. All right, we're the Young Jerks. Uh, I want to thank you, Grant, for helping on the show today. I want to thank the uh, four folks that came on. Uh, again, uh, Natasha Blackwell, Barbara, Barbara, Babs, Barbara, Cara Pachano, Hugh Giordano, and uh, Fabricio da Silva. Yeah, that was a good show. Really anything, good show. Anything you want to leave us with uh, before we go today, Grant? Well, I've been doing a lot of reflecting the past few days. Um, and I think what I've come out of it with is an appreciation for why I got into grassroots cannabis activism in the first place all those years ago, Mike, which is that when corporate forces work together to undermine public policy that's in the best interests of patients and equity and otherwise, that is the moment that demands service. And so I kind of felt reaffirmed in why I got involved in this this week. And I'm always grateful that you give me the time to come here and voice that perspective. So even though you went for two hours and 15 minutes tonight, it felt like five minutes. So thank really, you have we been on that long? Yeah. I wonder why people are starting to check out. Oh my God, it's 830. Holy shit. It shows that it's an issue close to your heart, though, Mike. So thank you. I didn't know. We, I thought we were like, a sh oh, it's funny. I thought we were like an hour and a half in. I did, Jesus. No, one of your best episodes that I've seen. So thank really? you for letting me be here. No. Well, thank you. I, I think that is our, our you know, we, we do have to go. It's time to go. I got to make actually a couple more calls. And uh, my boy, Charlie, I don't know. If, did you hear him barking earlier? I, I heard him a little oh, barking in the background. He peed, uh, at one point, I'm interviewing everyone, and I look over, and he's peeing in the corner. <laughs> I'm like, you little bastard. He is the most, un and I'm saying this, Carm's probably watching this. She's probably going to run down. Where did he pee? <laughs> he knew. The, the dog knew you Because were he knew I couldn't do anything. Interview. He's that smart. He's such a little devil. He's barking away. Right now, he's being good. If you see me moving, I'm, I'm petting him. He, he just comes over and lets me pet him, but... uh. Yeah, he used to be a little evil boy. He used to bite and stuff. He's gotten better, but 
we have to work on his barking. That's the one and the peeing. <laughs> he he uses, you know, it's funny because he like that's why we put him in the kennel when we're not here. He's really good if we're watching him. He's not gonna pee in front of us. But like it was so funny. I looked over and I'm like, yeah, little bastard. He's doing it because he knows I can't get up right now. They're so smart, smart. guy. Smart guy. Yeah. So I gotta go clean up some pee. Uh, you enjoy that, Mike. Thank yeah. you again. <laughs> I'm sure my audience loves hearing about it. These are the uh, the tra- Yeah, this is the tough part. Being at home, doing. I I love it. I love not having to travel, but then you have to deal with issues like that. Having your dogs go nuts. Hey, I I think that pets make a great part of the live stream. So maybe Charlie will become a fan favorite. Yeah, maybe next time I'll I'll, show, I'll hold them up and so you can see how cute he is and why I put up with him. He is the cutest. Oh, he's he's wicked smart. He is so smart. All right. Well, we got to go on that. On that, He's definitely the smartest one in the family. Smarter than me. I don't know. Maybe Carm. Him, him, yeah. The, Charlie and Carm. They're the smartest two in this family. But I do have to go. And you have to go. And we've been going for uh, two and a half hours. So I want to thank our audience for listening. I want to thank them for sticking around and all the comments and everything else. And again, I want to... Uh, solidarity with the workers, all the cannabis workers. We're going to continue on this beat. We're not giving up for you. Believe me, a lot more to come.